This is the Blaze Radio Network at theblaze.com slash radio. It's Overstocktober. Overstock.com's 16th birthday. Find the great deals starting at $16, earn 16% back in Club O rewards, and free shipping on orders over 50 bucks. Come celebrate with Overstock. Go to overstock.com slash Glenn and start saving. A friend and a friend of the program, uh, Bobby Jindal, joins us now. He is the governor of Louisiana. Uh, and somebody that we would hope that you would take a serious look at and a serious consideration as he is, as I said, a true conservative uh, and somebody who has a tremendous story. I'm going to be spending um, an hour or so with him on Monday's television show, and uh, then we'll have some more of that on Tuesday as well. So you can really get to know him and hear his policies. But he joins us uh, today on the program. Glenn, thank you for having me. Look, I, you and I, you, we go way back. You're yep. a longtime friend. I'm a big fan of yours, what you're doing to fight for the conservative cause. For your listeners out at home, I've always done the show remotely, calling in. This is my first time to physically come into your studio since you all have uh, modernized and, and yeah. expanded. This is a beautiful, beautiful space. For the folks that only get to see yeah. it uh, on the podcast or on TV or hear about it, let me tell you, Glenn's done a great, great job here in this you. space. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. How's the family, first of all? Doing well. And Good. you can relate. I know you've got We've talked about our mm-hmm. kids before. My oldest, 13-year-old girl, she's went to her first boy-girl dance a couple of weeks ago. I'm completely against this. Uh, I think <laughs> any dad, I, I think that is enough to convince every father to be for the oh, Second yeah. Amendment. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. I, think that it, uh, I offered to send the SWAT team with her. She did not want that. I offered to, to <laughs> my wife offered a chaperone. She didn't want that either. My my yeah. daughter, uh, when she started dating, uh, I about put the kid into just a coma uh, because I brought my security to sit down and meet him. <laughs> and uh, and I just told the security, just play along. Sit at the other table. And if I look over to you, just look at me, look at your phone and then just shake your head yes. <laughs> and I had this kid so spooked that I knew all about him. Uh, and if you need any tips as she gets a little older, you call me. That's good. Look, <laughs> so, I, I, I got some good all ones. the fathers, I've got to imagine dating Glenn Beck's daughter's got to be pretty darn intimidating. Any boy that was brave enough to go through that gauntlet earns points oh, this kid for showing up. The, the father, the next day, because I actually, uh, I ended the conversation. I had a, I put a, a plastic bag in my, in my suit pocket. And uh, we were just having pizza, and he had a Coke, and he drank the Coke. And at the end of the, the meeting, I, I said, are you done with that? And he said, yeah. And I took the plastic <laughs> bag out, and I put his Coke can like I wasn't touching it, and I was going to dust it for prints. And he said, what, are you dusting? I said, I just, you know, just, hey, just, no big deal. The father called me the next day, and he said, Mr. Beck? And I said, yes. And he said, did you dust my son's Coke can for Prince? He was pissed. And I, and I was going to say, well, it was not really. It was just, and I said, well, yeah. And he said, you, sir, are a genius. I have, <laughs> I have daughters. I am doing it to them. Well, just Let's not give away all of our secrets. Yeah, I don't want our daughters well. listening to this thinking, oh, they were bluffing. Oh, I mean, yeah. they, they need we, yeah, a I little bit of uncertainty is a good thing. For oh, I have boys. more for you, Bobby. Um, okay. So you, you've got a family. You know what this is um, is going to be like. You know what it's going to be like for them. You know that they're going to tear you apart. The next president, no matter who he is, is going to face Abraham Lincoln-style problems. Why would you want this job? That's a great question. And look, I think it's the same reason you continue to speak out. Look, you could easily just say, I'm going to stay at home and be quiet, because you know when you speak out, people come after you. If the next president's going to do what needs to be done, we're going to have to upset a lot of people. We're not talking about incremental change. That's why I've said it's not enough to elect just any Republican. 
The only reason to do this, folks that are running because they want fame or they want glory, they're misguided. The only reason to do this, the idea of America is slipping away from us. Now, look, every politician will tell you this election is the most important one. This one really is. If we don't change direction dramatically, I don't mean gradually or incrementally, I think we're done. So tell me the most dramatic thing Mm -hmm. that you think, because this is we were talking about this yesterday. I want tax plans that say we're shutting down the IRS. We're going a completely different way. I I want to hear big Silicon Valley type thinking. Bold ideas. Really bold ideas, because that's what will captivate the imagination. And quite honestly, that's the only thing that's going to heal us. So tell me what. give, Give me give me some. Give me well, some Bobby Jindal, Silicon Valley. Well, and look, let's see. We can start with tax plans. Domestically, we have got to shrink the size of the federal government, not just slow its growth rate. I'm the only candidate that's done that. We cut our state budget 26 percent, 30,000 fewer state bureaucrats. All these other candidates talk about shrinking government. They've never done it. So my tax plan, every Republican's got a tax plan with lower rates. And we've got that, you know, 25 percent, 10 percent, 2 percent. Three things that are different, radically different about my tax plan. So a bunch of these Republicans say, we want, you know, Trump and Jeb have said, we're going to have half of Americans pay no income taxes. That's crazy. I think that's crazy. I think everybody should pay something. Yes. And so our plan's got a 2% rate. It's not about how much money we raise, but it's the most important 2%. We're all in this together. If we want government to stop wasting money, we got to care about it. It's got to be our money. It's too easy to think, well, that money grows on trees if we're not paying something. So, so we you have make, a 2% rate up to what? So up to $10,000 for a single filer, $20,000 for a married filer. The next uh, level is 90000 for a single, 180000 for a married at, uh, uh, when you get up to 10%. So a middle-class mm-hmm. family, teacher, you know, a police mm-hmm. officer married mm-hmm. today, making one hundred fifty. They're paying 25% today. They'd pay 10% under my plan. But it does two other things that are pretty dramatic. Number one, uh, number two, it also it eliminates the corporate tax. Not reduces it, just gets rid. Oh wow! These guys play games. They they hire accountants and lobbyists. They don't pay these taxes. Make the CEOs pay, and we get rid of a whole bunch of the deductions and all the loopholes. You know, we preserve five, but we get rid of all the other nonsense they put in the tax code. Here's the thing: where the left, they're going to attack me on this, but I'm actually proud of this. We shrink how much money we dramatically do. We cut 22 percent of the revenues going to the federal government over the next 10 years. Now the left's going to hate it. They're going to say, "Well, you know, you can't do that." Well, if we don't do that, we're done. And if we elect a Republican president, and before we've had Republican majorities, Republican presidents, they slow the growth rate, nothing changes. we got $18 trillion of debt. We're drowning in debt. Now, this tax plan, it grows the economy. There are all kinds of numbers. 14% GDP growth, 6 million jobs, you know, 9%, uh, over 8 to 9% uh, wage growth. But here's the fundamental thing. Here's the most important thing we got to do domestically. And then one other thing internationally, domestically. This president has done a great job changing the American dream to be all about the government taking care of us. That's what he's tried to do. We're on the path towards socialism. And we, let's just be honest about it. I mean, Bernie Sanders calls himself a socialist. Hillary's no better, and Obama's no better, and there are a bunch of Republicans that aren't a whole lot better. They want to be Obamacare light. They want to be – look, if this election is about who can give away the most stuff from the government, we're done. We never win that fight, and it's not a fight worth having. We've got to look the American people in the eye and be honest with them. And say what makes America great is not that government gives you stuff. It's that you got freedom in this country. And we got to fight to get that freedom back. Shrinking the government is not just about growing the economy. It's getting our freedoms back. But secondly, internationally, this country better be serious about And I know you've written about this. I know you feel strongly about this as well. We better be serious about the threat of radical Islamic terrorism. So tell me about ISIS. Well, look, it, it, first and, of all, and, 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 let's, start, let's start more basically with that. Tell me about Islam. The reality is, is Islam's got a problem. 
And, and you know, I, I know nobody on this stage is politically correct, but let's just, you know, let's go ahead and be honest. And I know we're going to get a bunch of folks saying, oh, you're anti-Muslim or you're racist. That's nonsense. This is just honest. This is true. Mm-hmm. Islam's got a problem, and that's radical Islam. And what we need our president to say to Muslim clerics and leaders, they've got to do two things. At least one, they've got to explicitly say, they've got to condemn by name these individual, by these terrorists, these murderers. Let's call them what they are. They can't just, you can't just condemn a generic act of violence. You can't just say, oh, well, we're against killing. You have to say, no, these individuals are not martyrs. They're not going to enjoy a reward in the afterlife. They're going straight to hell where they belong. And then secondly, they have to explicitly say, we fully embrace religious liberty and all the freedoms for people of different religious beliefs that we want for ourselves. It can't be that we want freedoms for us, but we don't want other people to have those same freedoms. When it comes to ISIS, when it comes to Islam, you've got a president, we've got a president, who went to the Pentagon a few weeks ago and said, this is a generational conflict, we've got to change hearts and minds. They are burning people alive, raping, crucifying, torturing, killing Christians, other uh, uh, Muslims, other religious minorities. He wants to negotiate with them. We've got to hunt them down and kill them. He calls Fort Hood an incident of workplace violence. If we won't name, acknowledge the enemy, Secretary Kerry wants to allow many more Syrian refugees into our country. We know ISIS wants to send terrorists. Mm-hmm. We know they want to send terrorists into Europe, into America. Why are we letting them in? They don't even have to sneak in. If we're going to let them in the front door... Why would we do that? Well, we're we're accepting fifteen thousand in the next year, and they're all being vetted by the United Nations. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Jeez. I don't, you know, that's that's insane. Um, but how do we, um, you know, we've just raised, just got a note uh, this morning. We have broken the ten million dollar mark uh, in wow. what has it been six weeks? Mm-hmm. All yeah. coming in in hundred dollar checks. Wow, um, trying to raise money to save the Christians in the Middle East, the Nazarene Fund, ten million dollars. So that tells me. At least this audience um, uh, is very well aware of what's going on, that we are now facing the St. Louis, the ship that we turned away in in the 1930s, uh, that we're facing the same thing that the world faced before, an extermination of a race of people based on their religion. Um, And I get a lot of heat from people, even in this audience, saying, you can't bring any of them here. My answer to that is, A, our vetting is m- far superior than anything the United States is going to do. Uh, second of all, um, how many members of ISIS are Christian? <laughs> Zero. How do you deal with the crisis of not the war refugees? Because if you're Muslim, far as I'm concerned, Saudi Arabia has got lots of room. Jordan has lots of room. They can they know the difference between the bad guys and the good guys. The West won't admit it. So they can do that. How do you deal with the Christians and this open door in Europe that's going to crush Europe? Well, you're exactly right. What I worry about is those folks going to Europe have a much easier time than coming to the United States yes. where they can do us harm. But we the vetting is so important, and I applaud the generosity of your audience Let's get to the root cause of this, because this administration wants to talk Band-Aids. This just didn't happen by accident. You've got millions of refugees there because of this president's failed foreign policy. Let's think. Let's just for a moment step back and think about what we're seeing today. So you've got Assad and Putin and Iran and Hezbollah working together. I mean, can you imagine this all happened because this president, he created a void. He said there would be a red line. He said if Assad crossed that red line, if he used chemical weapons, he goes, there are going to be consequences. It has been his official policy that Assad has got to go, but he's done nothing to accomplish that. He has said his official policy is we're going to hunt down and kill ISIS. He's done not enough to accomplish that. 
then we've got to take the handcuffs off the military. You've had General Petraeus come to the, the Congress and offer ideas. You've had other uh, military, current and former military leaders saying what we should be doing. Why aren't we arming and training the Kurds directly? Amen. I mean, yep. we're going through Baghdad. The Kurds have been the effective force on the ground. Yes. Turkey is willing to help us to go in, and other Sunni allies are willing to go after ISIS. What they don't want to do is to go after ISIS if it leaves Assad in power. What they don't want to do is prop up Iran, a Shia power. They're not convinced America is in this to win this. So now we're in a position where our friends don't trust us, our enemies don't fear and mm-hmm. respect us. Look, Putin went into the Ukraine and Crimea because he didn't respect the White House. Nothing, nothing of consequence happened to him, so now he's going into Syria. China's testing us in the South China Sea. Let's be, let's be clear about what's going on. These are big, big adversaries. They respect deterrence. They don't want a, a conflict with the United States. But if they feel like there's no strong pushback, they're going to keep doing this. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. With the 2016 presidential hopeful, Governor of Louisiana, Governor Bobby Jindal, uh, who is going to be spending uh, an hour with me on uh, Monday. We're actually, after this uh, broadcast, we're going to tape uh, a couple of uh, shows and an hour uh, on Monday and some more for Tuesday show. But I want you to get to know the man and I want you to hear his policies. You may end up disagreeing with him, but I think you will. Um, I, I, I don't think you're going to disagree with very much that he has to say. Um, I uh, Honestly, uh, Governor, we were talking about it the other day. We think that you are one of these guys who is poised to come rushing to the top here soon. Uh, once the, when, you know, once the circus and the, you know, the clown stuff, uh, settles down and the, we get the, serious about things. The Iowa polling starting to really improve. We're very like, pleased with that. So we're moving up in the Iowa polls. Mm-hmm. We're in the top five. And, and thank you guys. I agree with that. Look, I think that we had a, a fun summer silly season. I think people are getting serious about it now. They're saying were, this is an important election. You were one of the first ones to really come out and, uh, I, I thought your statement on Donald Trump, your speech on Donald Trump, was very well thought out and um, and and really good, really oh, good. You. you were one of the first ones to come out and say enough. Well, and that's right. Look, I, I love the idea of Trump. It's entertainment, yeah. and I love the fact he's politically incorrect and he goes after the establishment. I thought it was hilarious mm-hmm. when he gave out Lindsey Graham's cell phone number on national TV. We all <laughs> laughed. It was funny. But here's the problem, and the reason, because people said, "Wow, I was pretty harsh on him." You know, I called him an egomaniac and a narcissist. Oh, please. The problem I have is that. We've got a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to apply our conservative principles. Yes. He's mm. not a conservative. No, he's not. He not even believe close. in anything. The, the, no. the Kilo case, the thing that he said oh. earlier this week about, uh, you know, eminent domain is just, it's shocking that there's a single mm-hmm. conservative on the planet that would say, oh, yeah, I'm for that. 
Well, it's eminent domain, but it was also a week ago on 60 Minutes. He says, that, yeah, government should pay for everybody's health care. Mm-hmm. That's Obamacare. That's socialism. That's one of the biggest issues facing our country today. And as if conservatives, conservatives as conservatives, if we give up that fight, what good is the Republican Party? If we go along and say, OK, we agree with the Democrats, the government's going to pay for everybody. We're done. OK, we, uh, we're we going to go in depth and on television next week on some some things. But let me just touch base real quick. I've got three and a half minutes to, to touch this. You're 24 years old. You're you're running the state uh, health and hospital system. In Louisiana, right? That's right. That's 24 right. years old. So you have to have some ideas on how we can fix uh, the health care system and get rid of Obamacare. And it bothers me when people say repeal and replace. I don't want the state to replace it. That's Are right. you repealing and replacing? Well, we're repealing all of Obamacare. And what we're doing instead, no, we're not replacing. And when people say replace, too often that means Obamacare light. They mean, oh, we're going to create yes. another entitlement program. Correct. We're going to redistribute. We're going to raise taxes. No. No tax increases. No expansion in government spending. No. There are a couple of things we've got to do. We have a great health care system, but it had challenges even before Obamacare. Yes. Get rid of all of Obamacare. One, we should help have more competition to make health care more affordable. Allow people to buy insurance across, across state, state lines. lines. Amen. Thank you. I yes. mean, this is ridiculous. Jeez. Allow people mm-hmm. expanded access to health savings, medical savings accounts. Yes. Give people a standard tax deduction. That way they can decide whether they want to buy their health care from their employers themselves. Allow them to group into voluntary purchasing pools. Crack down on frivolous lawsuits. That would Just doing that would drive – those things would drive down premiums $5,000 for the average family. Secondly, mm-hmm. don't expand Medicaid. Don't grow government programs. Provide very targeted help to those that really do need it. There are people with pre-existing conditions – Give money to the states, block it, let them. They're much better at the, than the federal government, whether it's high-risk pools, reinsurance programs. And third, and this is the most important thing, put doctors and their patients back in control. You know, when I was the ED of the, the Medicare Commission, the head of the Mayo Clinic said there were 130,000 pages of rules and regulations in the Medicare program. we got doctors leaving the Medicare program. One of the worst things Obamacare has done, I think it's immoral, to spend money you don't have, make people dependent on government. But one of the worst things that it does Puts bureaucrats between doctors and their patients, erodes the quality of care. Mm-hmm. When you're in that emergency room, when your child is sick, when your parents, when you're there in front of your doctor, do you want the doctor providing your care or do you want some bureaucrat in Baltimore saying, well, you know what, we've got this rule and you got to do medicine to ABC this way? That's one of the worst things about Obamacare and Trump care as well. Here's where we're headed, folks. If the government thinks they're going to pay for our health care, they're going to start telling us how to live our lives. And they already started that. They're going to say, well, this is what you can eat or drink. This is how many guns you can have. These are the activities. We're paying for your health care. We're going to tell you how to live your lives. That's the inevitable next step. And we're already, we're already seeing that with the micromanagement of our kids' school lunches. That's what's coming. Okay, I want to talk to you about, by the way, um, uh, we'll get into this in the TV show, but thank you for your leadership on Common Core. Well, you. Um, you were, you've been dirt strong on it, and you've been dirt strong on it from the very beginning, and thank you for that. I like that term, dirt strong. That, I, you need a trademark. <laughs> I haven't heard that uh, many um, times before. I like that. So um, when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, how you get the government, how, how do you untangle yourself from this? And also this push for gun control, because it's mighty popular. Uh, And we'll start there when we come back. The Glenn Beck Program. The Blaze Radio Network.
listening to the Glenn Beck Program. There is kind of a litmus test on being on this program uh, and for this audience. And that lit, that litmus test really is, um, do you understand what a progressive is? And do you know the history of progressivism? I'm not going to waste time with you on this. I just want to say to the audience, he does. He has known it for a long time. We've talked about it for a long time. Uh, and we were just talking about it off the air. And maybe we'll get into that on Monday on the TV show. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, gun control. It is becoming socialism is neat, and so is gun control. Uh, and they are selling it to, I mean, People Magazine just ran a, a promotion in People Magazine. Call your congressman and tell them we need gun control. So they're going, you know, after the low information, low constitution, you know, knowledge uh, voters. Uh, and it's going to become more and more popular. And the country is becoming more and more unsettled. How do you how do you win this, Bobby? Well, Glenn, look, obviously, I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. Let's review. Let's just take let's let's take head on their their strongest. They call their strongest argument. Let's take what happened in Oregon. So after one of these shootings happens, the president the president even wait this time. I mean, talk about unseemly. Comes on live TV, politicizes this while we're still learning the details. He and Hillary Clinton are in a race to see who can take away our Second Amendment rights the fastest. Taking away the the rights of law abiding citizens won't stop these shootings, these massacres. Let's be honest. We've got a culture that is decaying. If you really want to understand why we have these mass shootings, you really want to understand, yeah, the knee-jerk liberal reaction is, oh, we'll take away law-abiding people's guns, that'll solve this. That doesn't solve anything. We've got a culture where we no longer protect innocent human life. We've got a culture where if you watch movies, you listen to music, you, you turn on your, your, your TV set, you're just overwhelmed with the violence, the obscenity. It's so hard to raise kids. And I say this not just as a governor, but as a father. We've got a decaying culture. We've got millions of kids growing up in families where they don't have father figures. we got millions of young boys who aren't growing up learning about values or, or, or the value of human life or, or truth. we got the father, and this is going to be very politically incorrect. I know we're, I, we've already said enough things. We're going to get a lot of <laughs> objections to this. But let's go ahead and be honest. you got the father of the Oregon shooter lecturing us about gun control. Here's a guy that by his own admission, doesn't know how many guns his son, ha- his son had, doesn't know where he got the guns, wasn't in his son's life, he was living with his mom, really couldn't tell us a whole lot about his son. Who's he to be lecturing us? Mm. But you're right, Gillen, you know, the left, they don't want to talk about the moral decay. We need a spiritual revival in this country. If you want to understand why this is happening, you know, it's the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Our culture is getting more and more cur- coarse, more and more violent. Our kids, we tell them they can't bully at school, and then they come home and they play these video games with violent graphic depictions of rape, murders, killings and then we wonder and too often it's a troubled young man that commits one of these shootings the answer is not gun control the answer look if somebody's going to break the law to use a gun they'll break the law to get a gun let's be honest about this this is just the left trying to take away more of our rights this is the left they already don't like our first amendment religious liberty rights they don't like our second amendment rights part of this i think a lot on the left gun they live in a world that's very different from us a lot of them not only are they not believers they don't know folks that are believers not only do they not have guns they don't know people that have guns they look at people. The earlier conversation we were mm-hmm. having about our guns, they listen to that. They're horrified. Yeah. They think that's barbaric. Yeah. They think that's last century. They and don't the understand. Same, the same thing with, with spirituality. Oh, absolutely. They, they really, and it's a progressive trademark, they look down on people that are different than them. They don't, they don't understand them. Uh, they don't really want to understand them. They are beneath them. That's right. We are Neanderthals for believing in God. We're Neanderthals for believing in the power of protecting our own self with a handgun or a, or, or even just to have a gun to go shoot and, and, and have sport with. We're Neanderthals. Um, and remember the president told us he's, he, he was caught on video, on audio recording saying we cling to our guns and our religion as if that was an insult. Yes. 
I don't take that as an insult. I got plenty of religion, plenty of guns in Louisiana. We're proud of that. My little boys, they go duck hunting. We've taught them gun safety. They know how to, they're, they're very responsible around guns. They always know that treat them like they're loaded. They don't point them at people. I trust them with guns because we've raised them right. They, and they, they're not scared of them and they know they're not toys. Now that statement, I'm sure we just offended a whole lot of liberals out there who, who think that's child abuse. I, I can't believe you let your child, you know, shoot a gun or, or hold a gun. It's great fun for the family. Absolutely. And so I, I think you're right that, and you know they preach tolerance. They're tolerant of everybody except those that disagree with them. If you happen to be a conservative, they have no tolerance for us. They say they're tolerant. They really aren't. So how do you change that, Bobby? We are entering a dangerous time in human history. Well, look, part of it, I, I want to be elected president. I'm obviously, I'm running to be president. That's not enough. We need a cultural change. We need a spiritual revival in this country. And that's what I mean when we fight for things like religious liberty. We have to not only appeal to people of faith, people also who aren't believers. We need to appeal yes. to them and say, in America, we live, we're, we have the right to live our lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week, according to our beliefs. Whether you believe what I believe or not, whether you're a Christian or not, you should fight for my, my right to, to live my life that way. I'm actually, I have this on a set. This is my copy of it. I want to give you this before you leave called The Great Partnership, Science, Religion, and the Search for Meaning by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Have you read this? I've not. I'm not yet. He is. He's brilliant, and he's making the case. Religious people, you have to start speaking to the scientist and the atheist because we're about to lose all of it, and we have much more in common. And it's just, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic plea to people who walk a different life um, to say, look, there, there are a few things that we have to agree on, and we do. We just, we just say, oh, well, you're a scientist, and so you are a god hater, or. Scientists say, oh, well, you, you just ignore science because, you know, you believe in religion. No, that's right. No, that's not the way it is. Well, and look, let's give the president a very backhanded compliment. One of the things he understood, because you can undo tax rates and EPA regulations. We can undo that. He's fought very hard to change the idea of America. Yes, sure has. And Fundamental he's a, transformation. That's yeah. right. He's, he's been a lot more successful than I would have thought in a short yeah. period of time. Oh. He gets how much harder that is to turn back. And we've talked a little mm-hmm. bit about, you know, the uh, turning the American dream into the European nightmare, making it all about government dependence. They, he and Hillary both have tried to redefine the idea of religious liberty to be a couple of hours a week in church That's as right. opposed to 24 mm-hmm. seven. You look at their assault on our gun rights every chance they get. This is a very, this is an informed, it's a deliberate attempt to change the idea of America. Let's not be naive about what's at stake here. I used to, you know, I used to say he was the worst president since Jimmy Carter, but, you know, oh, that's no. unfair to Jimmy Carter. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. I it mean, is. Jimmy Carter was incompetent, but he believed in American exceptionalism. I don't believe. Mm-hmm. This, I think he's Woodrow Wilson. He's Woodrow Wilson. He is the, the bookend of, of the progressive era. That's right. Yeah, that's Woodrow right. Wilson was really the beginning and a nightmare and believed in, a, in the same America that in many ways that Barack Obama believes in. Uh, and uh, now we've seen a hundred years. This isn't Barack Obama that has done this. This is a hundred years of progressivism, and Barack Obama was the one to finish it off. You're uh, right, and, and we were talking about this earlier. There are progressives, obviously, in the Democratic Party. There are progressives in the Republican Party. Oh yeah, there are folks in both parties that think they know how to live our lives better than us. That we shouldn't, if we have these freedoms, we will misuse them. So they've got to come tell us. That's how you get Common Core. That's how you get the micromanagement of the school lunches. That's how you get the federal government setting expulsion policies. That's how you get the federal government telling you what kind of insurance to buy, whether you can have guns, how, whether you can have religious liberty. That's how you have Michael Bloomberg saying you can't drink uh, this many big gulps in, in the city well, of New York. That's, honestly, that's why you have um, uh, Mike Huckabee and Jeb Bush. They are just as big of progressive as Hillary Clinton is in many, many ways. Uh, and I don't think people really, truly understand that. You, we've got to get away from these labels. The uh, debate is coming up on CNBC. Um, and 
uh, the the GOP is doing everything they can, as, as much as the DNC is too, to weed the field out to get their candidate. Do you believe that's a conspiracy theory, or do you believe that's true? No, look, I, look, I think it's obvious that you, you know. As I'll speak to my party, I, it's clear to me the DNC is trying to protect Hillary. It's clear to me that on the Republican side, that folks in D.C., the folks in New York, and I think the national media folks as well as the donors, absolutely, they're trying to clear the field. They don't like having more debates. They think democracy is messy. I've got news for them: the voters get to pick our nominee. They don't get to pick our nominee, and it always backfires every time they try this. It doesn't work. Look, Jeb Bush publicly said you've got to be willing to lose the primary in order to win the general election. Let's translate mm. that. What he's really saying and what the establishment is trying to tell us is hide your conservative beliefs. You know, get the left and the media to like you. If we do that again, we will lose again. We will deserve to lose again. We've tried that before, and it doesn't work. The American people don't want us to be a second Democratic Party, a cheaper version, a second liberal party. They want us to be authentic conservatives. They want us to to not only repeal Obamacare and stop amnesty. They want us to stop funding Planned Parenthood. They want us to stop this bad Iran deal. They want folks to all fight for them. Again, another backhanded compliment to Pelosi and Reid and Obama. At least they fight for their beliefs. Well, Our side just gives up the fight before it starts. I wish we had half the conviction, the backbone that the other side has. If we did, we'd win. Absolutely. We're right. Half. Yeah, because we're right. If we had half their conviction, we would win. But how do you get people to understand that... This is the time where you can where you can have a Bobby Jindal or a Ted Cruz. This is the time when you find the right guy to run in the general election. But so many people are all hung up in, well, I, and look at who's Jeb Bush and it's Donald Trump who are at the top of the polls and I want somebody who, who can win. How do you convince them otherwise? Well, two, this- thing, two things. One, I'd say, look, look at what's happening in the early states. The voters that get to come out and hear the candidates, not just see them on TV, not just watch ads but actually get to go kick the tires, ask the tough questions. That's the way it works in our democracy. The people get to vet the candidates. There's nothing between mm-hmm. me. We do these town halls, but in 48 counties, we're going to all 99. We'll stay to the last person asks their last question. That's why we're moving up in the polls in Iowa. Now, I know the National Party wants to ignore the early states. The last 50 years, every Republican nominee has won either Iowa or New Hampshire. You cannot mm-hmm. ignore the early states. And I think you're exactly right. I think they would love, I think the RNC would love, I think the establishment would love a Jeb Bush uh, uh, Donald Trump fight, they're they not going to get it because the voters aren't going to select that. And so I think that voters need to take control back. These politicians mm-hmm. work for us, not the other way around. That's why I think we got to fire everybody in D.C. Dana Lash said uh, last week she didn't think that the GOP has a um, uh, she didn't believe that they have a, uh, a PR problem or a communication problem. She said they destroy the GOP every step of the way. They destroy their own policies and their own people every step of the way. I am I am happy in some ways that we haven't mentioned, and I'll bet you no, nobody, if it wasn't for this question, nobody here would have even thought this. You're running for president. You, you're the first Indian American to run for president. You would be the first Indian American uh, president. We are called racist every step of the way, but we have, what, two Hispanics, yep, a, uh, black, a black, a woman, an Indian. <laughs> Uh, and, and the DNC sounds like a setup to a bad joke. I'm just waiting for you to say walk into a bar. The DNC has, has a bunch of old white people. And yet we're the racist. Does it, does it come into play at all with you? The identity problem, um, do, are you ever tempted to even say, Hey, first Indian? Absolutely not. Look, I'm tired. I'm tired of the hyphenated Mm -hmm. Americans. We're all Americans. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes this country great. 
I mean, I don't think anybody should be treated differently because of the color of their skin, their gender. One of the things I like about the conservative movement, if we don't do that, yes, we don't have these quotas, these set asides. We don't. You don't get to start ten yards ahead of anybody else. Everybody mm-hmm. starts on a level playing field. That's the way it should be. It's interesting, though, isn't it, that the media doesn't notice it. They uh, they never talk about it. Whereas well, with Barack it. Obama, everything was historic. Everything was unprecedented. Everything was the most amazing thing that's ever happened. But with you, with Ted Cruz, with Marco Rubio, with uh, Carly Fiorina, with Ben Carson, they don't care. They don't even notice. They just don't care. Well, and one of the things I worry, you know, stepping back from just this election cycle, the left is obsessed with identity politics. They're obsessed with multiculturalism. Here's what I really fear for our country. We've always been a melting pot. Now that is apparently culturally arrogant. The left says you're xenophobic if you say that. We, the new term of art is we're supposed to be a salad bowl, which I think that's the dumbest thing I've heard. I mean, the reality is assimilation, integration is so important to the American success story. My parents came here 45 years ago. They came here. They wanted to be Americans. If they didn't want that, they wouldn't have come. And so why is it wrong to say if you want to come to our country, come to be an American and assimilate? If you don't assimilate, if you don't integrate, that's not immigration. That's an invasion. Now, when you say that, the left goes crazy. I said that Hillary Clinton went apoplectic. She sent mm-hmm. Congressman Ca- uh, Castro to Des Moines to criticize me for it. So I now like repeating it because when I know it drives her crazy, I like saying it over and over. It just <laughs> encourages me to repeat it every chance I get. But this is a very important point because one of our strengths compared to Europe and other places has always been this idea we're a melting pot. Mm-hmm. And we're Americans, and that's, you know, being American, it's as much of an idea when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, it's this idea of freedom and opportunity. What our founding fathers got right, it wasn't about our genealogy. It wasn't about our ethnicity. It was this idea that government, limited government was going to protect but not create our God-given rights. Bobby Jindal, if you like what you've heard, it's BobbyJindal.com. BobbyJindal.com, and he will be joining me on uh, the TV show Monday and then a portion of Tuesday's show as well, so you don't want to miss that. Bobby, thank you so much. Thank you, Glenn. Great to be with you guys. 